beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a text that we have Jesus, again, of the fourth I Am statement in the Gospel of John. I am the Good Shepherd. And we see this a few times within this particular chapter and what it means that Jesus is the Good Shepherd and how He shepherds His sheep. He's also called the Great Shepherd uh, that we find in Hebrews uh, chapter 13. We also find that He is called the, uh, the, not just simply the Good Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd. Um, Peter speaks of Him as well, of that Chief One that appears to us and what it means that there is under-shepherds under the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the great shepherd of the sheep is what we find in Hebrews 13. Uh, the, uh, the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5. This is how Jesus is described. Good, morally good, beautiful, lovely. That's what it means that He is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. So there are the under-shepherds working under Him in the midst of the flock to labor in His stead in bringing the word, feeding the sheep. That's what was told to Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Three times we find that, feed my sheep, in John 21. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the great, the good, the chief. There's none other. He is the one. He is the one that we look to. He is the one in whom we find complete redemption. And this is what we find in this particular text this morning. So, thinking about Jesus dealing with the hireling. Those that don't own the sheep, they may be hired to take care of them, but when danger comes, they will flee. They, they will run from the danger. They don't want anything to do with the danger. They're not going to give their life for the sheep. But this is what Jesus says in distinction from the hirelings, He is the one who does give His life for His sheep. Now, look at, uh, you look at verse 11. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd gives His life for His sheep. How does He give His life? These are questions. You know, even in the Sunday school, we're looking about beholding the man, asking the questions of what the Scripture teaches regarding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's not just looking at a person that is on the cross. It is asking the questions of why is He on the cross? What do the Scriptures describe? What do they explain? What do they declare about this one who is on the cross? What's the difference between the man on the middle cross and the one on his right and the one on the left? What's the difference between the one in the middle? Behold that man on the cross. That man who is declared in Scripture to be truly man and truly God in one person who gave his life as a ransom for many. This the other two did not do who could not do. This alone is the one on the middle cross. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He lays down his life, he says in John uh, 10 verse 11. But the hireling doesn't do that. He sees the wolf, he runs, and they flee because, notice, the hireling doesn't care about the sheep. This is a completely in distinction from the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. That's comforting, isn't it? Christ cares for us. He cares for the sheep of his pasture. He cared in this way. We often think of John 3.16 
For God so loved the world that he gave, and we think about God giving and that God loved us this big. How did God love us? He loved us this big, he gave Jesus. That's not what that text means. It's the way in which God loved us. How did God love us? He gave the spotless Lamb of God to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He gave the spotless Lamb of God who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might then by imputation become the righteous of God in Him. God the Father gave the Son, God the Son, the Son of God, who then upon the cross gave His life to absorb the wrath of God against the sins of His sheep. This is how God loved His people. He gave His Son as an atonement for their sins. Now, when you're beholding Christ and when you're thinking about Christ, it should never be abstract from His work, from His person and His work, that He was sent by the Father to redeem a multitude, that He was sent by the Father to then go to the cross not only fulfilling all the righteous demands of the law, but then to absorb the punishment, the penalty, which was due all of the sheep for breaking all of the commandments. Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 14. He doesn't flee. He's the one who gives. I am the good shepherd. That's the present tense of the verb to be. I am. Ego a me. He is the eternal one. I am the good shepherd. The definite article. The good shepherd. There is none other. But this one good shepherd. And this good shepherd who shepherds his sheep. You understand the imagery given there. He, he brings them together. This is what a shepherd does. Poimen is the, the Greek term. It means that he gathers them. He provides for them. He feeds them. He nourishes them. He protects them. All that the sheep have need of, the shepherd provides. That's why we find in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. I have no needs. It's the shepherd who takes care of me. It's the shepherd who provides for me. This is Christ, the good shepherd. That's who David is referring to in Psalm 23 with regards to the good shepherd. It is Christ. He is the good shepherd. And he knows his sheep. Notice he says, I know my sheep. This knowing is not just knowing about them, though Christ does. He knows everything that there is to know about us. Beloved, He knows things about us that we do not know about ourselves. He knows the depth of our being. He knows what makes us tick. He knows our likes. He knows our dislikes. He knows our struggles, our difficulties. He knows the trials, the temptations. He knows the struggles and the weaknesses of our lives. Christ knows the way that we think. He knows the ailments that we are enduring. He knows everything that there is to know about us. He knows as He is truly God. Christ, the Good Shepherd, cares for His sheep. 
Notice that he knows us intimately in this way. Again, not referring to, I know my sheep. There's something deeper than that. But there is that aspect of him knowing all of the things about us. He's created us. He sustains us. But think of this, that he knows each one of us individually. He knows individually each particular sheep and their habits, their disposition, their desires, their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, all of it. He knows everything that there is to know about us. Isn't that comforting? You know, we go through things and we lament that people don't know what we're suffering. We say things like, you don't understand me. You don't know what I'm going through. And that may be true in some senses. A woman who has a miscarriage, I don't know what she's going through. I know what pain is, I know what hurt is, but I don't know particularly what her pain and hurt is. And I would be a fool to say, I know exactly what you're going through. I have no idea what you're going through. And her pain and suffering may be different from somebody else's pain and suffering. And though they're pain, and yet they handle it differently. But we can't say that about Christ. Because he knows everything about us. And the comfort of that, beloved, is that how he knows us is that we can go to him. And that he understands our pain and our sorrows and our grieving in our losses, in our difficulties, in our struggles. Christ knows. And so that's why we are called to come boldly into the throne of grace. That's why we are petitioned by Peter to cast all of our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. He provides for us. He has a comfort, a balm for each one of us. And he provides that for us in each of the sorrows and difficulties that we go through. And this is why Paul writes in Philippians 4 that there is a peace then that he gives to his people as we come in prayer that surpasses all the understanding of the human mind. We don't even understand it ourselves when we're going through it. How can we be so calm? How can we be people that are and not all upset and not going crazy during these difficult times? It's because Christ has given me a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't understand it, but there's a serenity, there's a calmness to the disposition, to the demeanor of the individual's heart going through hard things in life. Because that's what Christ gives, peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And when the Prince of Peace resides within the soul, you have peace. You have peace in the turmoil of this world. You have peace when all the world is falling down. You have peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Christ gives us peace. We experience then the peace of God. Can't even explain it. It's beyond our ability to express it. But we enjoy it. That's the blessing of knowing. Beloved, you're known you are known by the Savior. You, you, you are known by Him. He knows you. He knows everything about you. Don't ever hold things from Christ. Don't ever think that you're going to hide something from the Lord Jesus. He loves us. 
He has demonstrated his love for us even yet while we were enemies. Christ died for the ungodly. He's demonstrated his love. The cross of Christ reveals the love of God for us. The love of Christ for us. Christ loved us and gave himself for us, Paul says in Galatians 2. Don't ever withhold prayer from the lover of your soul. Come to him. He cares for you. Cast it upon him. He loves you. He cares for you. When nobody else seems to care, Christ cares. He always cares. He never will not care. He is always caring for his sheep. Think about this in Hebrews chapter 7. He always lives to make intercession for the saints, for the people of God. Christ right now interceding for us before the Father. He stands before the Father in intercession That's part of the high priest's ministry on behalf of his sheep. This is how Christ loves us. So, he knows us in that way, but something different. This word goes deeper than just knowing about. It is a love that he has for his sheep. He knows the depth of my heart, and he loves me the same. You thought about that for a moment? You thought about the corruption, the defilement that is still within your soul. And He loves you the same. He doesn't cast you out. He has atoned for your sins. You wear His white robes. This is what it means about Christ knowing us. I know my sheep. I love them in this depth. Paul speaks of it, he's using the word gnosko, but it has the idea of loving, for loving, in this way, in this manner. God loves us. Christ loves us. I know my sheep. Are you a sheep? Do you belong to Christ? Now, now look, beloved, I didn't ask you if you're a member of Hope Reformed Church. I didn't ask you if you were water baptized. I didn't ask anything about partaking of the Lord's Supper. I didn't ask about being membership and the rights and privileges or partaking of the sacrament. I asked this question. Are you a sheep of Christ's pasture? Because being a sheep is different than being a church member. You may be a church member and not be a sheep. You may be a member of the church. You may be part of the outward, visible manifestation of the church, but not the invisible church. Those that are truly redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a sheep? Do you belong to Him? He's going to show some things that take place in the life of those that are truly His sheep. He says this, I know my sheep... And I am known by my own. Do you know Christ? Not some things about him. You you kids that have been in Sunday school and have learned from your parents and have heard the Bible read know some things about Christ. That's different than knowing Christ. You, You can't not know things about him If you know him, but you can certainly know things about him and not know him. Do you know him? 
How would I know that I know him? Well, you hear his voice. You hear his voice speaking through the word. You hear his voice calling out to you, calling you by name. You are my sheep. You belong to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I give you eternal life. No one shall ever snatch you from my hand. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Do you hear him, beloved? Because only the sheep hear Christ's voice. They know Christ. You're not going to deceive me with a false Christ. Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. He comes in that manner. He comes trying to deceive you, trying to lead you down the path of destruction. He comes in a, in a mask. He comes in disguising his image. That's what it means. He transforms himself into an angel of light. He puts on a different form. That's what transformation means. He goes across from one form to another and it gives an image that he is the Christ. We have that in our day. We have people saying that you can be a homosexual and live in that homosexual lifestyle and you can be a Christian. We have people saying that you don't have to repent of your sins if you're a believer. You're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how you live. These are lies of the wicked one. Christ doesn't save you uh, in your sin. He saves you from your sin. His name is Jesus and He will save you from your sins. He saves you from your sin. He works in you so that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're not the same old person. You don't have a costume on. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. Satan would come and he would bring all kinds of disguises to try to manipulate and try to deceive the people of God. And you know what? The elect of God, the sheep of his pasture, hear his voice. They hear the voice of Christ. They don't listen to this nonsense. That's foolishness. And you know what happens? Sheep oftentimes become timid. Because you'll hear this voice that will go on continually in this world saying, well, it doesn't matter how you live. Christ redeems you. If you've been redeemed, you've walked the aisle, you've prayed the prayer, you're in. You can do whatever you want. Go wherever you want. You do anything that you want. You're still a believer. You can absent worship. You don't have to be in worship. You don't have to gather together with the people of God. You don't have to partake of the sacraments. These are all optional for you, people will say and think. These are lies of the wicked one. And when you get so many people saying that, the timid sheep of Christ's pasture don't want to speak up. Well, I'll speak up and I'll tell you that if you're a member of the invisible church of Jesus Christ, born of the Spirit of God, regenerate, raised up the spiritual life in Jesus Christ, it is your covenantal duty before God to be faithful in the corporate worship of God. Not an option. It is not an option for you to take the Lord's Supper. It is a command from your King, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we, we don't live in a day of absolutes. We live in a fuzziness that goes on. And nobody wants to say anything anymore because everybody's offended. Isn't it? Isn't it that way? Everybody's offended. 
What are you offended about? I haven't been respected. I haven't been respected, so I'm offended. They called me white. I'm offended. It's, it's silliness. Saw that commercial again on the TV. Stop hating. And then every nationality except Caucasian, except white. I'm the hater then, right? That's what the world is saying. I'm the hater. We're the haters. You're the hater. You're the problem. All lives matter. Because we're all created as God's image bearers. Oh, I'm offended. You called me female. I'm offended. I'm offended because you said that my husband couldn't have babies. I'm offended. It's, it's, it's absolute foolishness, the, the asinine of what we have in our culture. And nobody wants to say anything. We have been called to be a people that speak the truth. That's what love does, beloved. It speaks the truth. It speaks the truth lovingly. It speaks the truth because it cares. Do you not care that others are perishing? Do you not care that you have family members that are perishing? But you're too concerned about your reputation that has family gatherings. Well, I'm not going to say anything because it only engenders trouble and problems and, and strife and arguments. It doesn't have to. You can speak the things of Christ to those whom you say you love, but you're afraid to say anything to them. You say you love the Lord, but we don't want to speak. Something's not right. Something's not right in the church of Jesus Christ. We are so afraid to offend man that it seems like we have no fear of offending God. We'll go and do all kinds of other functions, but we'll blow off the Lord's day. It's like it doesn't even offend us. It doesn't even bother us that we do that. Oh, I've got to make sure that I make this, this little gathering of the family because, you know, I don't want them angry with me, so can't come to worship this day. Something's wrong, beloved. Something is systemically wrong in the life of the church. I can always draw it right back to the Word of God. I am known by my own. Would you know the difference between the voice of Satan disguising himself as the Prince of Peace and the true Prince of Peace? Would you know the difference? Would you hear his voice and know his voice? Jesus says in verse 15, As the Father knows me, notice this is a loving thing again, even so I know the Father. There is the love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here mentioned the Father and the Son. There is a love eternally between the Father and the Son. There is an exhaustive love between the Father and the Son. And, and that, beloved, is poured out upon us. We are the recipients of the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. We receive as a result... This is poured out to us. It's like a splash effect. We receive because of this. And this is what Jesus says, And I lay down my life for the sheep. Laying down. He's referring to giving himself for the sheep. What does it mean that he gave himself for the sheep? 
Think of the imagery of David says this, when there was a bear that came against my sheep, I grabbed him by the beard and I slew him. And when a lion tried to take one of the lambs of my flock, I killed him too. Notice the imagery is a go-between. It's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The one who stands before. The wrath of God is coming, beloved. It is coming upon all those who believe not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's coming. It's an awesome wrath of God. It's indescribable. How do you describe the wrath of God coming? Who knows the power of God's anger? It's coming. It's going to come upon the whole world of unbelieving, rebellious individuals. And here's Christ, the mediator that stands between the wrath of God and the sheep. He's the one who absorbs the wrath in our place so it doesn't come to us. This is what it means he lays down his life. He gives his life. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He lays it down to absorb God's wrath against our sins. All of our violations of the commandments of God. You and I, beloved, have broken every single commandment in thought, word, and deed. We have broken the commandments of God. We are worthy and deserving of damnation. Christ stands between the wrath of God and his sheep. He protects the sheep. I lay down my life. You see him in the garden laying down his life. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Three times praying that same prayer, and his sweat were blood dripped down with the sweat, mingled down because of the capillaries bursting in prayer for his people. Here's Christ on the cross, carrying his cross, bearing the burden. Think about the whips, the catanine. You know... Yes, it's, it's the, the spiritual aspect of redemption for the people. But don't discount the physical pain and the torture that he went through. Being ripped of his body wide open so you could see into the cavity. Okay, how grotesque would that be to see the organs of an individual? To see skin ripped and you have your ribs, but you can see through that. This is what he endured on behalf of his people. He laid down his life for his sheep. He was so bloody and bruised, so beaten from the catanine tails, as all of the things, the metal, the glass, and all of the fragments of bone that were attached to those leather strips ripped his body wide open, draining his blood out. So that he had no strength to be able to even carry the crossbeam. Here he is on the cross. I lay my life down for my sheep. He prays, cries out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Because you're laying down your life for your sheep. You are taking their place on the cross. You are being treated as if you have sinned. All the sins of all of your sheep in every particular sin that they have sinned in thought, word, and deed. You are bearing the wrath, the burden, the penalty. You're laying down your life for your sheep. 
How do you go there? How do you even speak about that? What Christ experienced. There's an inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors of the cross. You think about the anguish, the pains, the terror. Terror. Terror of something coming upon you. It's pending. But it's coming. Hell's coming. The fury of God's wrath is coming. Why? Why does he endure this? Because he lays down his life for his sheep. What should be our response? How should we respond? Should we be nonchalant about worship? Should we be people that take it or leave it? Should we be unprincipled? Should we be those people who do not prioritize? Should we be hit and miss? Do that on your job. See how long you remain an employee. How will we respond with a thankful heart? What will our thanks look like to the one who has laid down his life for us? Jesus says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Notice this, other sheep. These are not believers at this point. These are the Gentiles. There's a difference between fold and flock. But Jesus says that there are others that are not of this fold. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He will bring them in, Jew and Gentile, in one body. And so there will be one new man of Jews and Gentiles. You have the Jews, everything else is Gentile. Others I have that are not of this fold. Notice, they belong to them. I have them. They are mine. I haven't brought them in yet, but they belong to me. They are elect, but they're not at this point regenerate. He will bring them in. Them also, notice, I must bring. Because it can't be that Christ could lose any for whom the Father gave him to redeem. He must redeem them. He must bring them in. And this is what he says then. And they will hear my voice. Now, I have a question to ask you. Are they redeemed and then they're sheep? Or are they sheep before they're redeemed? They're sheep before they're redeemed. So what does that mean? That means elect unto salvation from before the foundation of the world. And in time, the Holy Spirit brings in the sheep for whom Christ died. The Holy Spirit brings them. How does He bring them? He brings them through the proclamation of the gospel. You know, when I came into the Reformed faith, it was so liberating to not have to do the dog and pony show, trying to convince people by your testimony that Jesus is real, that He's, he's legitimate, that He truly saves. No, I just had to proclaim the word. I just have to give them Jesus because he's the one who brings them in because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How will they believe on on him unless they first hear? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Church has a responsibility, send out preachers into the world to preach the word of God because through the preaching of the word, Christ makes his voice heard.
When the Word of God is proclaimed, Christ causes His voice to be heard in the inward disposition, the soul of an individual. Those who were given to Him by the Father. That's wondrous. That is ineffable. I don't know how the Lord does it. I don't know how He makes His voice to be heard in the soul of an elect individual and then He brings them to His fold. But He does. You're here believing. He brought you in. He caused you to hear His voice. He regenerated your soul, gave you ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and you came to Jesus. You did come, but you came as a result of the work of the Spirit of God in your soul. You came as a result of the Holy Spirit, raising you up spiritually. And so you knew that all these others are fakes and phonies. Christ is the reality. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. All these others are on the broad road that leads to destruction. If you're not following Christ, you're under deception. Satan has then orchestrated many other ways, he says, that are to God. But Jesus says there's one. These are all on the broad road that leads to destruction. Any type of cults, any of the isms and schisms of this world, they are all on a path of destruction. And they are under the guise of holiness. They are under the guise of redemption, of forgiveness, of going towards God. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the door, I'm the life, I'm the resurrection, I'm the good shepherd. If you don't come to me, you don't come. There's no other door. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other path. It's Christ. There's no other mediator. There's none other that stands between the wrath of God and individuals. Christ is our rock. He is our refuge, our fortress, our high tower. He is the the one to whom we run and we find refuge. But He calls them. And He brings them. And there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. One flock. Now, let me just quickly speak to this fold and flock. Two different Greek words. The, the fold is like a building that had no roof. It just had walls on it that you would bring your sheep and your goats to that place and that you would put them in there for safekeeping during the night. And the shepherds would lay in front of the door. So that's how you get the idea when Jesus said that many came before him, but he is the door. They just tried to rob. They tried to steal. They tried to climb over the walls to get at the sheep. Jesus is the true door. And then when the shepherd would go off in the morning and lead his sheep out into the pasture, he would call them all by name, and they knew his voice, and they would come and they would follow him. That was a holding pen. That was a fold. Jesus brings them in so that they might be one particular flock. Christ's body, Christ's church, Christ's redeemed. Now, Jerome, who wrote the Latin Vulgate, he translated in Latin fold and flock to be the same thing. And so he pressed the issue of organizationally that he must be referring to the Roman Catholic Church and that apart from the Roman Catholic Church, there is no salvation. That's why many in the Roman Catholic Church are deceived by a mistranslation from the Greek into the Latin doesn't say that. There are many organizationals 
many visible congregations. And yet, true believers are all united in one flock, even though in this life we have problems. Baptists have problems with Reformed, Reformed have problems with Methodists, and so on and so forth. Uh, But if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, we're going to have problems. We're going to have difficulties. Why? Because of sin. Some don't study, don't search out the Word, can't defend. They're just those that listen and he, oh, okay, I'll believe that because so-and-so believes it. Never testing the Word of God. Never asking the questions of why we believe these particular things. But, But they're true believers. They're trusting. They're laying hold on Christ. But we have an intramural, an in-house debate, squabbles that go on. You do the same thing in your house, don't you? Don't you as families, you disagree with things? But you're a family, but you still disagree. And sometimes you walk away shaking your head, man, I live a bunch of nuts, they're crazy. But they're, they're my nuts, right? They're my crazies. I mean, that, that's the way it is. You don't abandon them. You, you know that they're part of the family. You know they're confessing Christ. They're, they're misunderstood. But they're part of the flock. He's not speaking about organizationally. He's speaking about the one universal, invisible body of Jesus Christ. And we are all glued together by the Spirit of God bringing us to Christ. We hear Him. We worship Him. We are redeemed by Him. We have righteousness in Him. We are forgiven in Him. We are adopted in Him. We are children of God in Him. And beloved, we keep on hearing His Word. See how critical it is every Lord's Day to be hearing the Word of truth? the gospel message, the word of God, no matter what portion we're being fed from, as long as we're being fed from God's word. Not some book review, not some vacation a guy goes on, but the word of truth, that we know God's word, we believe God's word, we hear God's word, we bow to God's word. That's what the sheep do. They hear his voice. They follow after him. There is one flock in one shepherd, and beloved, we are a demonstration of that. We are an aspect of it. We are a representation of that, of the universal body of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation, north, south, east, and west in this world. And in one time, at one point in history, Christ is going to consummate all things. What a wondrous day this is going to be. He is going to gather up all of his people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language of the world the north, the south, the east, and he is going to bring us together in consummation of the new heavens and the new earth. What a wondrous day that is going to be. The true church of Jesus Christ are those that rejoice in Christ Jesus. They have no confidence in their flesh. They worship him in spirit and in truth. These are the redeemed of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter organizationally where they are. These are the redeemed who worship Him as Lord and Savior. Amen. Shall we pray?